But in this historic account of Barabbas, the good news outweighs the bad. You see, there is no good news about ourselves apart from Christ. It's only bad news. But there is good news. Welcome to the Fox Den with Terry Fox. Greetings, everyone, and thanks for joining me in the Fox Den. One of my favorite things about the Bible is how God acts out the gospel throughout the Bible. He doesn't just merely tell us the good news. He demonstrates the good news by acting it out in history. And this means that when we read the Bible, we don't read it just for historical value. And we definitely don't read it for good moral lessons. In fact, the Bible is filled with stories of murder, deceit, theft, pride, and many other immoral acts. And there are not many, if any, good moral Old Testament characters. Not a single one of them are a moral example that we should follow. Now, certainly, we look at the Old Testament for its historic value. These are true stories. It's actual history. It is the history of God's nation, Israel. But we don't read the Old Testament merely for its historic value. You see, there's much more in the Old Testament than just history. The whole Bible, including the Old Testament, is pointing to Jesus, and therefore we must interpret the Old Testament with Jesus in mind. So in many of the historic acts of the Old Testament, we see God telling us about Jesus in those historic events. Now, I do talk about this in episode 8, but let me give you a few examples. Back in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, we see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, that God makes clothing for Adam and Eve, and he makes it of animal skin. Now, initially, they created their own clothing, but their, their clothing was inadequate, so God made them clothing of animal skin. Well, what does that tell you? It tells you that an animal had to die to cover the, really the shame of Adam and Eve. But that animal didn't really do anything as a sacrifice for the sins of Adam and Eve. It merely pointed forward to the one true sacrifice, which would redeem sinful mankind. You see, the animal that was sacrificed for the animal skin to clothe Adam and Eve pointed forward to Christ. The death and bloodshed of Jesus was necessary, and through his sacrifice, our sins would be covered. God was acting out what he was going to do all the way back when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. As another example, when God called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, his only legitimate son, God was telling us what he was going to do through Christ. So if you go to Genesis 22, we see this account where God called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. So just before Abraham plunged the knife into his son, God stopped him. And there was a ram caught in a thicket. And Abraham offered that ram instead of Isaac. You see, God was acting out the gospel here. He would provide the sacrifice that would cover the sins of all his people. And this sacrifice would be his son. And then finally, when God told Moses to make a bronze serpent in Numbers 21, he was pointing forward to the crucifixion of Christ. In fact, Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, that that bronze serpent was pointing to him. So in all these events that occurred hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, they were pointing forward to him. This isn't just biblical history. 
Yes, these are true actual historic events, but there's more to them. You see, God is telling us the story of his Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And throughout the Old Testament, God demonstrates the good news of his Son. And we're going to take a look at another instance in the New Testament where God is doing this. Now, before we get to this particular text, let me just give you a few details so we know the setting in which this text falls. So shortly before this event, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, and the people celebrated him triumphantly. However, many of the Jewish leaders, they hated him, and they wanted him dead. Over the last several years up to this point, Jesus refused to submit to their laws. He did things like heal on the Sabbath. He called God his Father, making himself equal with God. And on more than one occasion, he stumped them with his questions and his responses to their questions. So many people were following Jesus, and this threatened the position and authority of many of these leaders. And these men wanted Jesus dead. So shortly after Jesus entered Jerusalem, he was betrayed by one of his own disciples. And as a result, Jesus was arrested and he was tried for criminal activity. But the Romans couldn't find anything wrong with him. They found nothing to charge him with. And that's because he was innocent. Jesus did nothing wrong. In fact, Pilate, the Roman governor, he wanted to let Jesus go. But instead of releasing Jesus, Pilate said that he would punish him, thinking that this would appease the Jewish leaders and the people who wanted him dead, but it didn't. So as they applied more pressure to Pilate, he caved to their desires. And instead of letting an innocent man go, Pilate sent him to his death and released a true criminal, a man by the name of Barabbas. Now you can find this account in Luke chapter 23, verses 13 to 25. Now before we move forward, let's take some time to learn about Barabbas. And there's not much revealed about him, but we do know that he is a rebel and a killer. You see, that's what he's in, in prison for, insurrection and murder. Insurrection is rebellion against an established government. So obviously, Barabbas was rebelling against the Roman government, and he was arrested for this activity. Murder is premeditated taking the life of another. Yet both these crimes really stem from the same thing. Both crimes are really an act of elevating oneself over another. Insurrection is the hatred of authority over you, and it's a refusal to submit to that authority. In fact, it seeks to destroy and overturn that authority. Murder is the hatred of another. It seeks to destroy that person. But at the center of both crimes are hatred and self-centeredness. It's really establishing oneself as God and determining that I have the authority over others. And it determines who lives and who dies. You see, both crimes really stem from the desire to place oneself on God's throne. At the center is self-worship. Think about it. When you're trying to overthrow a government, you're saying that this government should not be in place. I should be in the position of authority. Same thing with murder. The murderer would say that you don't have the right to live and I have the right to determine that. So you can see how both of these are really an act of elevating oneself over another. So we can say that Brabus really considered himself more important than others by rebelling against the authority that God put him in and killing those he hated. But let's take another look at Brabus. Let's take a look at him from a different angle. Who is he? Well, we are Barabbas, each one of us. Now, perhaps you're saying, I'm a good law-abiding citizen. I've never killed anyone. 
Well, that may be true to some extent, but the Bible tells us a very different story about us. You see, each and every one of us is a rebel. In fact, we rebel against the ultimate authority, God. Look at Romans chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. You see, it says that none of us is righteous. There is not one of us who is righteous. And it says that there is not one of us who does good. Not a single one of us does good. And not one of us, apart from Christ, seeks for God. You see, by nature, we are God-haters. And that's the point that Paul is making. Apart from the work of God on the hearts of sinners, no man will seek after God. Every man will rebel against him. You see, that's what we see in the world. In cultures around the world, they're rebelling against God. They're acting out according to their own nature, and we would join them apart from the work of God on our own hearts. Because we come from the same sinful stock, we all come from Adam. Sinful man hates God and rebels against him. But it's much worse than willful rebellion. Man is unable to submit to God's law. That's what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 7. Man's sinful mind is set on the flesh. Man's sinful mind is hostile to God. It refuses to submit to God's law, and it is unable to do so. The heart of sinful man is set against God, and he can't change his own rebellious heart. And before God grabbed a hold of us, that's exactly who we were. And if you're not a believer in Christ, that's exactly who you are right now. One who is unwilling and unable to submit to God's law. You're still a God-hater, and God himself says so. Well, not only do we by nature hate God, but we, by our own sinful nature, hate our neighbor. We hate others. Now, I, I know we don't like to think that we hate our neighbor, but the Bible tells us a different story about ourselves. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, Jesus says that being angry with your brother causes you to be liable to judgment. And he's connecting this anger with murder. You see, just before he says that, he brings up the Old Testament commandment that you shall not murder. So you can see there he is connecting anger with murder. In other words, you can murder somebody without actually killing them. And the point that he's getting at is murder resides in the heart. Now, our earthly governments wouldn't charge you with murder if you didn't kill them. But God's standard, he looks at the heart. So when we hate somebody... That's really murder in our hearts. And that hateful heart resides in each and every one of us. And it's the same heart that resided in Barabbas. Now, perhaps you're thinking that you're okay because you're not holding any grudges. But here's the problem. Surely somewhere in the past, you've had bitterness in your heart towards somebody. Surely there's somebody in your past that you have refused to forgive. You see, surely the heart of Barabbas resides in you and me. You see, this historic event of Barabbas, God is telling us something. And the first thing he's telling us is, we're Barabbas. Now, I'm sure at this point, you would like to hear some good news about yourself. I've painted a pretty grim picture of who we really are. But in this historic account of Barabbas, the good news outweighs the bad. You see, there is no good news about ourselves apart from Christ. It's only bad news. But there is good news. This story isn't really about Barabbas. And this story isn't really about you and me. Like the Old Testament stories, this story is really about Jesus. 
But to fully appreciate the gospel according to the story, we have to see that we are indeed Barabbas. You see, Barabbas deserved punishment for his crimes. He was guilty of violating Roman law, and more importantly, God's law. But instead of Barabbas suffering the punishment for his crimes, Jesus took his place. Jesus was tried several times, and he was found innocent. But upon the presumption of guilt for blasphemy, which is laughable because they sent him to the cross because he claimed to be who he actually is, God. So upon the presumption of guilt for blasphemy, Jesus is sent to the cross, and Barabbas is set free. You see, the innocent takes the place of the guilty, and the guilty is freed from bondage. That's the gospel. Jesus took your place, and you were set free from the bondage of sin and death. You see, you are Barabbas if you are in Christ. I'm amazed at Jesus' unresponsiveness to his accusers. He didn't even defend himself. Why didn't he defend himself? Many, many years ago, I was accused of doing something at work that I never did. And I was angry. People intentionally lied about me behind my back, and they told my boss that I was doing something I never did. I was innocent, and this was a grave injustice. And I was angry. How dare these people do this to me, accusing me of doing something I never did? But isn't this interesting? That the injustice against Jesus was far greater than the injustice against me. Yet he didn't defend himself. Why? Because he knew what he was doing. You see, Jesus came to set God's people free. And here he was demonstrating the gospel. Jesus took the place of this guilty man so this guilty man could be set free. Jesus died in place of the sinner. Jesus Christ, who is God and man, came to earth to take our sins on himself and die in our place, taking the full wrath of God and receiving the punishment that we deserve. And because Christ took that place for us, we are released from the power and captivity of sin and death. We are now free to be God's people. Jesus acted out the gospel in this story. This is a real historic event. Jesus actually died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, and Barabbas was actually freed from prison. It's an amazing story. The innocent took the place of the guilty so that the guilty could be released from prison. And in all of this, Barabbas was a passive participant. You see, he did nothing to be released. He was released apart from anything in himself. Put yourself in Barabbas' shoes. You're sitting in a dungeon cell, and you hear the footsteps of the prison guard. And he puts the key in the door, he unlocks it, and you think you're on your way to be crucified. And what does the prison guard say? You're free to go. You see, Barabbas didn't send letters to Pilate requesting to be released, or at least we have no indication of that. He was just sitting there waiting to die, and he was released. He didn't do anything to be released. And it's the same thing with you and me. God extended his grace to us and rescued us in Christ, not because we asked him to, but because it pleased him to do so. So what happened to Barabbas after he was released from prison? What did he do? Well, we don't know. We're not given any information about Barabbas after this, which is really strong evidence that this story is not really about him at all. 
What we do know is what we're supposed to do since we have been released from prison. We're to walk from our release from prison in loving gratitude toward God. You see, we were spiritual prisoners of the devil, and God extended his grace to us. Jesus came and he took our punishment on himself. He paid the ransom and released us from prison. You see, we're free to be kingdom citizens now, and that's how we ought to conduct ourselves, to do the things that God has called us to do, and that is our way of saying, thank you, God. It's a a life of humble gratitude toward God. You see, our release from prison isn't based on anything that we have done. We weren't released from captivity because we asked Jesus into our hearts. We weren't even released from captivity because we asked to be released. Like Barabbas, we were passive recipients of God's grace. Even when we loved our sin and we hated God, he made us alive with Christ and he enabled us to believe him and love him. And if you're a believer in Christ, you've been freed from captivity because Jesus took your place on the cross and God released you based on the ransom paid by Christ. And that ransom was his blood. You see, you're not going back to prison. You've been released forever. I get it. You still sin in this life, and you're going to, and God knows that. But the ransom was paid. You know those sins that you're going to commit tomorrow? The ransom has been paid for those sins as well. You're free. You're free to be God's people. Jesus changed places with Barabbas, the innocent taking the place of the criminal. Do you realize a bad person, a rebel and a murderer, was set free? Barabbas wasn't a good person. He was guilty, and that should give us hope. Jesus took our guilt, our sin upon himself. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. And as a result, like Barabbas, we have been set free from the power of sin and death. That's good news. We were prisoners of sin and death. We are now free to live as God's people with hearts filled with gratitude. We are Barabbas. 